Welcome to Good Faith Reads. I'm your host, Zach Dawes Jr., Managing Editor for News and Opinion at Good Faith Media. Good Faith Reads is a short podcast released twice a month in which we focus on one of our book authors at Good Faith Media. We've published more than 100 titles under our Nurturing Faith book imprint, and we invite you to check them out at goodfaithmedia.org bookstore. Our guest today is Dan Day, who is the author of several books published by Nurturing Faith. And our interview now will focus on his most recent book, Lively Hope, A Taste of God's Tomorrow. He's joining us remotely from North Carolina. Dan, thanks for carving out time to visit and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I appreciate the invitation. Well, having been on here before, you know, one of our standard questions is tell our listeners in one sentence what the book is about. This book offers 22 biblically based meditations about hope, about what it is, how it works, how to practice hope in daily life, and ultimately how to live hopefully, even in the presence of death. When the subject is hope, there's probably more than a critical life experience, probably more of a set of experiences over time that shape maybe your need or desire to write the book, but maybe give our listeners just some insight into, you know, what led you to the point of writing a book on hope? Well, I think the events of the last five years for Americans, at least, have been rather traumatic, politically, ecclesiastically, socially, personally. And those threats are still with us. Uh, Read this past week that somebody said the vaccine that we need most is hope. And I think that's exactly what prompted me as I thought about this particular book. And of course, I had just finished a book on the gospel as being the good news of the reign of God. That's the one that uh, Good uh, Faith published just a couple of years ago. Uh, And if the gospel really is the good news of the reign of God, that that's a message loaded with hope. And coming out of that writing experience and the convictions I gained in the writing of it, I felt like maybe I had something to say to this traumatized scene and time of American life and church. Well, for those listeners who may be thinking, I think I have a book in me, but I'd like to kind of hear from an author, a published author about, you know, what was their approach in putting a book together Did you have weekly goals, daily word count mandates? Did you face writer's block? Those things that might come to mind as somebody thinks about maybe sitting down to write their first book. Maybe just give those listeners a little insight into your process. Well, I wish I could be so uh, organized as to say I have a process, but I really (laughs) don't. Uh, I knew that I wanted to write this book about hope. I could see kind of conceptually the three divisions that I could see in the book. But my task simply was to keep writing and revising, trying to make what I wanted to say as clear and as fresh as I could. And some of the sentences in this book, uh, even down to the sentences and word selection, went through about 12, 13 different versions of taking a run at it. So for me, the process was more working on words than it was uh, trying to, how many words have I cranked out today? Uh, But since each meditation had its own specific focus. I never really suffered from writer's block because I knew I had one particular thing I wanted to say and I had set myself about a 2000 word limit uh, for each meditation. So that kind of provides its own parameters of managing the work. 
Uh, I was fortunate to, but about the time I had finished up the manuscript, uh, church here in Raleigh, North Carolina, Hayes Barton invited me to do a uh, adult Sunday school class in a uh, Zoom format. And that allowed me to road test, in a sense, some of the content of the book and uh, at least uh, one or two expressions or terms that I had used, I realized I need to work to refine that a little bit better for clarity's sake. So uh, having somebody to listen to it and react to it, as well as readers to be reading along, were uh, those, those were things that helped in the process. We'll be right back in 30 seconds with more Good Faith Reads. Lot Carey is proud to bring you conversations with some of the best and brightest pastors coast to coast. Our new podcast, Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving, delivers wisdom from the Black church for the whole church. Find us wherever you get your podcasts or listen online at lotcary.org. That's L-O-T-T-C-A-R-E-Y dot org. We look forward to the pilgrimage with you. Welcome back to Good Faith Reads. Today, we're joined remotely by Dan Day, author of the Good Faith Media book, Lively Hope. Again, I'm Zach Dawes Jr. of Good Faith Media, your host for this episode. Dan, among the several endorsements of your book was one by Molly T. Marshall, Baptist theologian and seminary president. And one of her comments stood out to me. She said that you help readers understand that, quote, hope is a chosen behavior. I think we would all agree that as we continue to navigate a global pandemic, not to mention the things that happen in our own individual lives that are unsettling and uncertain, that that's a very helpful way of looking at hope, that we can choose it. So could you reflect a little bit on kind of her her view of your book as sharing this concept of hope as a, a choice, a chosen way to behave, rather than just maybe what sometimes we think of as an emotion or a feeling or uh, some other less or more abstract concept? Sure. I think that hope is often confused with optimism, but those two are really quite different. Optimism, I think, is best defined as being a rather cheerful outlook based mostly on visible trends or data. And, you know, that, that kind of outlook on life can be based really, I suppose, in one's genetic structure, personality, or a life that's really never faced disaster, or could be just you had a great lunch and you're feeling rosy at that particular moment. But hope, at least in biblical perspective, is based on our faith in God's faithfulness and goodness. It's got roots that are a whole lot different and better and deeper than just feelings. As I say in the book, uh, hope looks at the visible and sees nothing encouraging. Nonetheless, it can walk with head erect into a future held in God's kind hands. That's because hope anchors itself in the conviction that the future belongs to God And that goodness, therefore, will somehow, someday win. Or as Bill Hull, one time dean of Southern Seminary, summed it up in a chapel sermon there one day, today may be dark, tomorrow may be even darker, but God owns the day after tomorrow. 
So I think that hope is a chosen behavior that you're banking everything you've got on the invisible. That's quite different, I think, than uh, optimism, and therefore it involves a real choice. You note, and you've, you've called your chapters meditations, and you also note that it's not your goal to put together a lengthy, much less a comprehensive book on hope. Um, so could you tell listeners a little bit more about the overall approach you took in, in writing those chapters? We, we discussed a minute ago how you said each one, you kind of had a focus and a goal for that particular chapter. Um, and then maybe speak a little bit about how you structured or organized the book. In my mind, the book uh, from the beginning had uh, three concepts. Now, I mean, three sections. That could be because I'm a veteran old time Baptist preacher and you got to have three points in the poem. Well, I didn't, I don't have a poem on this one, but I do have three points. Uh, but, but the first section I wanted to really discuss the nature of hope and how hope works. What I thought I could say about it just more theoretically, uh, conceptually. But then the second section I wanted to deal and did deal with examples of uh, hope in practice, what it is to be living in hope and the challenges that we face in everyday life and navigating those. And then finally, there was a final section that I could envision that would be a discussion of hope in the usual categories of the so-called last things, such as Jesus' second coming, heaven, eternity, those kind of issues that normally are called the blessed hope. Um, but I didn't want to just spend all my time talking about that. It was this more everyday need of hope for right now that I felt like was the focus of my book. So I wanted it to be readable and I wanted it to be practical. And so I chose that 2000 word limit. I, I fudge sometimes, a few times I fell below it, but I wanted them to be short enough meditations uh, centered in scripture to where people could kind of read it devotionally if they wanted to, but I wanted to have enough meat in it to where it was something more than froth that they were reading. And quite candidly, the thing grew as I wrote so that it's got more chapters in it than I had anticipated, but uh, I hope not too many to keep readers moving with me through the book. Well, in one of those chapters or meditations, you write, quote, within each of us, there also seems to be a default setting called hope. Visions of better, happier days lure us onward. Even in the bleakest of circumstances, a gritty defiance of the unwanted bubbles up from within. And you tie that innate hopefulness that we all seem to have to, quote, an expression of God's compassion embedded within the very structure of the world. Now, that brought to mind for me some of the writings of German theologian Jürgen Moltmann, who's written on hope a good bit. You quote him several times in the book. And in one of the books that I'd read, that another quote of his came to mind as I was reading some of your reflections. And his quote was this, in every end, a new beginning lies hidden. And he notes that we have to, quote, search for new beginnings and find them. And so I was wondering if you could reflect a little on this idea of hope as innate within each of us, and yet something that, as Molly Marshall summarized, you know, we have to choose, we have to choose the behavior of hope, we have to work for it or search for it, to quote Moltmann. So can you reflect on kind of those two concepts a little for us? 
flattered that you would uh, start ranking me with all of these high-flung <laughs> theologians you're quoting, but uh, just to stay there for a moment, I think that the, the Germans have uh, offered us the, 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 the idea that faith and then I think hope also is both a gift and a task. Uh, and if we keep that polarity going, I think we've got uh, as close to the truth as I have yet been able to discern. And my approach in this book is that uh, in every critical challenge of life, we're faced with the choice of hope or despair. Uh, and those who have faith in God, and by that I don't just mean lip service faith, I mean whose trust is ultimately in God. And, and th that's easy to uh, <laughs> mouth. Uh, it, it can so easily be a platitude, but in the seasons when it is down to hope or despair, it really is just the naked soul up against what do you mean by the reality of God and do I trust this reality. So I'm saying that those who have faith in God, whose trust is ultimately in God, I think discover that that faith provides what I have in the book called the hammer and nails and glue of hope. Hope isn't ready-made. It, it isn't handed to us. It's a project we choose to work on. It's a discipline that we develop. That's the task part of hope. Yeah, that, that innate thing that, that, that comes from our relationship with God. Uh, so you got to look for the new beginnings, just like Moltmann said, where, where might they be? And that to me is what I call the hammer, the nails and the glue at hand. From all the broken pieces or the busted dreams of life, we begin to craft a way forward. Not easy. It's hard work. Uh, so hope to me is the attitude that faith develops and displays as it faces the challenges of life and of death. Maybe that's the best I can say in response to your question. As I mentioned earlier in this interview, and, and you reference one of your other books by Nurturing Faith, you've, you've written two previously, Seeking the Face of God, which focuses on worship, and then Finding the Gospel, which... In my mind, looking over that kind of, to use the, the current parlance, is a little bit of deconstructing the faith that you may have received and had and reconstructing that in a way that feels more faithful to the biblical witness. Um, each book obviously stands on its own, and uh, we, we hope our, our listeners will purchase not only Lively Hope, but those two books as well. Um, but do you feel like this book builds on anything in those previous books or are there some common themes or threads that you feel kind of weave themselves through your writings? Well, I'd love to claim that there was an overall schema at work within <laughs> these three books, but that would be a bald-faced lie. There was no yeah. intention or scheme at all uh, in the way these books were written. Each came about due to the need of the moment and each was individually imagined. But in hindsight, now that I'm looking back at it, I realize that you really could say that that first book on worship, Seeking the Face of God, was really a book about love, specifically as that love is expressed in our worship of God. And the second, Finding the Gospel, is about the faith that inspires our love for God. And this book, Lively Hope, is obviously about the hope that works in tandem with faith and love. So, so maybe there is a trilogy here of faith, hope, and love, but it was never intentional. Uh, it just happened. So I do not think I was trying to set forth uh, you know, 
any kind of grand scheme. But in retrospect, I am glad that these three do, in a sense, set forth my own credo, if you want to put it that way, absolutely essential topics for Christian discipleship. What is our gospel? How do we nourish our life in God? And how do we live out this gospel when the chips are down? So uh, if this be the last book I write, I will be glad that I was able to give my attention at least to the, to the three biggies in my own pilgrimage and witness. An important note to all of our listeners, we at Good Faith Media are always accepting book proposals. Our authors engage with an experienced team of editors, designers, and marketers to produce and sell books on a variety of topics. So if you have a book proposal you'd like to run by us, head over to goodfaithmedia.org bookstore for more information. That's goodfaithmedia.org bookstore. Well, Dan, uh, it's been a pleasure visiting with you today. As I was reading through parts of your book again, uh, today in preparation for our conversation, a song came to mind, and it's uh, by the artist Foy Vance with the title Two Shades of Hope. He explores the concept of hope as both this energizing, life-giving force and also as a source of disappointment or disillusionment depending on what we hope for, whether or not it happens or not. And we've, I think, touched on this a little bit in some of the earlier questions. But one of the refrains that he offers as he shares in song about people experiencing different conditions and happenings that that cause them struggle is that he says, hope deals the hardest blow. But then he also notes, I can't help myself but hope. So he's, he's wrestling with, I think, this very human struggle of we, we hope for certain things, but yet when we face those disappointments and setbacks and things not playing out how we want to, that it can be almost as difficult. And so I'm not asking you to discern the meaning behind the the author's words or a song you haven't heard before, but that concept of the positive and negative aspects of hope dependent on the aspects or outcomes did strike me as something that maybe a lot of us have wondered, you know, how, how do we continue to hope when we face these small disappointments or maybe more significant setbacks or even tragedies? Um, so, you know, again, without asking you to discern the meaning, do you find that struggle to be true? And, you know, in what ways might your book reflect on that or help give some guidance to people who are struggling with that maybe negative aspect of hope, for lack of a better way of putting it? Yeah, I think it's a dead on uh, great issue. And uh, to try to respond quickly to a very profound question. Let me say, I approach hope as being ultimately hope in God, not in a particular script that I desire. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where we uh, really come to a a watershed here and what we mean by hope. If all my chips are on God (laughs) and I'm saying, whatever happens, my trust is in God, that even if all my dreams and all of my scripts wind up exploding, 
my hope is still in God. And uh, that, you know, and that's, that, that's what makes hope such a uh, grand and audacious uh, and terrifying thing, really. Because you really are trying to live as though one, as though you are seeing the invisible. So that, you know, uh, it's a whole lot easier to talk about hope than it is to practice it as I think those who really live in hope uh, soon come to know. Uh, optimism is a whole lot happier. Uh, I like to think of hope as uh, always swimming in the deep end of the pool where optimism is playing in the kiddie pool. And hope is operating when you are in deep water and uh, know that unless somebody rescues me, I am sunk and trusting that there is somebody like God who is some way interested and committed to you. So uh, that's almost a cavalier answer to a very profound question, but I do think there is a difference between hope in desired scripts and hope in God. Dan, it's been a pleasure to, to visit with you in general and specifically about the book. Um, as we begin to wrap our time up, I wonder if you could read for us a sentence or two from your book, something you think is critical for listeners to hear, either because it represents the book or because you think it's especially important for folks to hear right now. And of course, feel free to offer any contextual framing or a brief comment on it if, if needed. Well, let me uh, give you three long sentences. May I do that? Absolutely. <laughs> uh, and this is in a chapter really upon uh, writing upon how Jesus plays into our Christian understanding of hope. And I have characterized Jesus in this book as being the man from tomorrow. So in that respect, Here's the way I end up this chapter on Jesus as the man from tomorrow. Thank God, after all these years, he still remains with us, this man from tomorrow, whose death put to death our bondage to the past, whose resurrection certifies who's now in charge, whose gift is a new creation loosed in this groaning one, whose life converts scaredy cats into brave souls, whose spirit creates communities of tomorrow people and whose promise to complete God's dream gives lively hope. This Jesus implants the crazy notion that we can be and do more than our crimped little imaginations conceive, that we can be more like Jesus than Adam and live in a world more like Eden than Babylon. And on our journey to those destinations, we may dare believe that even when the worst thing possible happens, so will an impossible mercy. And when we can't go on, grace will lift us up. And when even death for the moment wins, God will not be defeated. Our guest today on Good Faith Reads has been Dan Day author of Lively Hope, A Taste of God's Tomorrow. 
The book, along with more than 100 other titles, is available in paperback at goodfaithmedia.org bookstore and as an ebook at either Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Dan, again, we're grateful for your time and appreciate you being our guest today. Thank you so much for the opportunity. 